0: You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org.
1: We don't have anything about a Corvette this week. Instead, happy listeners, we're going to start off with, Oh, wait, actually, before we even begin, happy listeners, happy, I don't know what I'm saying. First of all, did you notice this? This podcast is called "Their Auto Be A Law." Did you guys notice that? It's been changed. It's called "Their Auto Be A Law." Michael's smiling, shaking his head. Fred's wondering where he is. Um, he's pointing at his forehead. I don't know what's going on. Some weird calisthenics. But more importantly, listeners, you've come through for us. If you stick around the last five minutes or so of this episode, you will hear the one and only Fred Perkins tell his Woodstock 1969 story because you've met our donor challenge. Are you excited, Fred?
0: It's a good one. We've all made our contribution to history, and this is my little little impulse towards immortality.
1: Okay. Well, good. But first, we're going to start off with people who are trying to be immortal or immoral. I'm not sure. Uh, Waymo and Uber are teaming up. So Waymo is a self-driving car company claim to fame. Uh, Uber uh, also had their own autonomous vehicle project. Maybe they still do. But Uber, we know mainly from uh killing the taxi industry and having Uber Eats where they'll deliver food to you. So now they've teamed together and you can order your food to be delivered by an autonomous vehicle. And so no longer will the delivery person come to your door. You've got to put on some pants and some shoes and walk down to this car. And hopefully it opens up and gives you your food instead of driving away before you get your French fries.
2: Yeah, this is kind of a uh, match that was a little unexpected because I think in the day of of autonomous vehicles, Uber, was behind um, basically poaching a Google engineer, and he went to Uber and took their self-driving car secrets over there. Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, I think he was actually, he was sentenced to 18 months for it, so I don't think it's alleged anymore. Wow. so now they've joined in a partnership here. I mean, I'm assuming that's because Google and Waymo don't want to go through the uh, rigmarole of setting up an entire nationwide network like Uber's already done um, to take advantage of their autonomous vehicles to use them both in transporting passengers and for delivery. So we're, I think, you know, we Uber safety culture is always in question here. We just I mean, they're one of the companies that, you know, I, well, every company is driven by profit. But I think over their history, they've shown that they're a little more willing to uh negatively impact consumers on the way to that profit, particularly in the way they structure their non uh, their uh Agreement. Basically, you when you when you jump in an Uber, there's an agreement you enter into, and about half of that agreement is dedicated to the fact that you can't sue Uber for basically anything. Um, we saw sexual assault victims having trouble uh, suing Uber in the class action form uh, a couple of years back, and Uber, I believe, finally capitulated on that issue, but they have not yet really indicated, you know, what, what happens when you're a passenger in an Uber vehicle that's in a crash? Um, We think they're going to try to force all those claims into basically a kangaroo court. It's arbitration that's inevitably going to benefit, you know, Google and Waymo and Uber in this situation. And it prevents People who are injured or killed, families of those who are killed in crashes from being able to access the justice system in America. Um, so there's a huge problem there. Um, we're waiting to see how that part plays out, but you know, at, at least the vehicle won't be able to steal your fries before you get your delivery.
0: You know, it's rare that you see one technological advancement that's able to ruin four or five industries uh, simultaneously. This is better than a trifecta. If you think of this, it's, it helps destroy the restaurant business. It uh, makes delivery drivers unemployed. It endangers motorists and pedestrians, and also inconveniences customers all in one fell swoop. Uh, this is this is really a, an amazing achievement, and uh, you know, it's it. it appears to be a solution in search of a problem so it's created its own problems no uh, the problem you,
1: is clear it's i have to pay a driver i have to you know have a restaurant with physical locations come on you've identified these problems Fred.
0: i am old fashioned this way sorry sorry you know the
2: um you know the other issue this kind of highlights for us is right now if you order uh, an Uber delivery, um, you know, you've, you're, you're getting that delivered to your door, which at a house, you may not have that far to go to the street, but in an apartment, you might have a long way to go. Um, and, you know, th- this continued argument we hear from autonomous vehicle companies that they are somehow – Enabling disabled Americans to, you know, have more freedom of movement and to, uh, have less inconvenience in their daily activities. We're still not seeing that. Um, in this case, it, you know, there's a vehicle pulling up to your house with your delivery order and you have to actually go outside and meet the vehicle at the street. So, um, it's an added burden. Just like it's these vehicles seem to be an added burden on our roads. They are an added burden for folks who are disabled. Um, just to pick up their delivery. So, it, you know, we're, we we continue to think, I, I believe that we're adding problems to the transportation ecosystem here at this point. Um, without really, you know, good evidence that these vehicles are going to be any safer than your average driver.
0: I need to add that there is no evidence that under any circumstances anywhere in the world that AVs are as safe as. Human drivers in a similar situation, much less safer. There is just, there is no data, none, anywhere that shows that. So this is uh,
1: two votes uh, against this idea.
0: <laughs> is, this,
1: is that how we're starting off? Um,
2: I, I, you know, I would say I'd certainly vote against some of the ways it's being rolled out, with 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 binding arbitration as part of it. the system, um, that's what we. Are kind of really worried about tech companies that turn into car companies doing. They 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 do not like being hauled into court, and they will do anything they can to avoid it. And you see a very good example of this with Tesla.
1: Yeah, but I really like your point that because it, it wasn't wasn't the first thing that popped in my head, Michael. What you're talking about with people with disabilities of there's no longer anyone there to deliver their food for them. Instead, you're forcing them. Like I live in an apartment building, you'd be forcing someone to. You know, wait for the elevator if it's working. Uh, you hear me superintendent of my building um, and then get down there and by the time they get out there, the Uber driver's left um but also you know the Uber driver when they show up here, like the, the physical ones like they'll call you, and who answers a phone call from a number you don't recognize that because that's insanity,
2: um but yeah, I think this is a- and Anthony's wearing a bionic thumb today. I'm not sure what that oh, is
1: oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I forgot there's a camera on. I'm, as I'm fidgeting with things on my desk. Uh, anyway, forget the bionic thumb. Um, let's, uh, you know, Michael mentioned Tesla and boy, do we have some fun Tesla news this week. Let's start off with, you know, on a, on a, on a medium level one. Okay. We'll start off nice and easy. Cause I think we started off pretty aggressive there. Okay. Let's, let's right. center. Up. Okay. So one thing besides Tesla's being able to manage falling off a cliff uh, 250 feet down into the ocean, all passengers surviving. The other thing they've done really well, and I think you two will agree, is their uh, electric charging network. They seem to have done this better than everybody else. Um, their their drivers seem to love this thing. Um, but right now it's focused that, hey, you want to use our stuff, you want our electricity, you need a Tesla, okay? But then Ford's like, hey, wait a second, what if we uh, put a little money in your pocket, and you let our cars use your network. And Tesla's like, oh, okay, because we're at a clean energy credits and everything else we've used to bootstrap this company. So uh Ford starting uh what is it next year will get access to the Tesla uh supercharger network. What a silly name. Um so this is this a good
2: thing? I think it's really good news for Ford customers, obviously, because the the Fast chargers that um Food has, I believe, are planned about ten thousand across the United States and Canada, whereas Tesla I don't think those are already um let's see, Tesla has uh, like another twelve thousand to add 12, That's 000, effectively yeah. You're effectively doubling the size of the charging network for, for Ford owners. Um, and these are fast chargers that will enable people to, you know, take longer trips and, and do it more conveniently by being able to stop at a fast charger for, uh, 30 minutes or 40 minutes or however long it takes to charge and, um, get back on the road. So, uh, it's good. It's, it's interesting because, you know, Ford has been, you know, one of the, only companies out there that's been a little critical of the tesla approach a lot of other companies have kind of stayed out of that but as we've seen um tesla grow and build their charging network you know and and they're they clearly lead in the number of evs they're putting out and selling and that are, that are running around on america's roads at this point so it makes sense for Ford to do this, I think. And, and well, depending on how much they're paying for this, uh, but it's, it certainly makes sense for, for owners. And it's going to really enable, you know, Ford, Ford owners to use these vehicles in the way that I think people are hoping that we can all use them one day.
0: Good for Ford, yes. But uh, we've seen a lot of complaints about from people who say that the Tesla supercharging stations are pretty well backed up. They've got to wait a long time to get a, uh access to one of the recharging terminals and I don't think this is going to help that situation any so you know maybe if this is coupled with an expansion plan uh, it might make sense but I, I don't think this is going to help either the Ford or the Tesla customers when they're trying to get recharged ultimately by bringing a, a lot of new customers into a situation that's already fraught with access problems but um well, we'll see how it plays out. Investment could solve that, but it could take a lot of investment. It's
2: interesting. We've previously we've seen, you know, some of the Tesla superchargers across the country being blocked by people in giant pickup trucks who are trying to troll Tesla owners. And now we may see pickup trucks that are actually e v s charging at those same things blocking Tesla owners from charging. So I just wonder if what the Tesla owners feel about adding this huge extra amount of uh vehicles into their charging network because I'm assuming it's going to create delays for them that they wouldn't have had otherwise
0: no but let's not forget that those big trucks are real electricity suckers they're going to take a while to recharge because you know, they've got the enormous batteries we've been talking about that are approximately the same size as the Tesla's they're competing with.
2: And and Ford CEO, I think it was last week, he even came out, you know, he kind of came out in in favor of some of the things that we like to talk about, which is, you know, why Mm -hmm. are
1: um Piggly Wiggly he was talking about Piggly Wiggly No
2: he wasn't talking about Piggly Wiggly but he was talking he was basically you know he saw it referencing the news i believe of you know Cadillac and GM saying they're going to be taking that increased battery energy density and making it uh, into you know 450 to 500 miles of range versus reducing weight um the CEO, Jim Farley of Ford, said, I have no idea what's going on in this industry right now. These batteries are huge. Um, so, you know, he's right. And he's he's basically saying uh, something that's pretty much in line with what you're saying, Fred. These things are going to take a lot longer to charge. And do they make sense as much as smaller AV, EVs? We're still not convinced that big trucks... Uh, big electric trucks are a real solution.
1: This is what the CEO of Ford said. I don't know what's going on in this industry, but, uh, you know, Hey, buy our stuff. Maybe. I don't know. Does he work for Kyle at cruise? Like this is some, that's absolutely not. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, let's continue down our Tesla road. So, uh, the Germans, you've all heard of the Germans, right? Well, the Germans got their hand on 100 gigabytes of data leaked from Tesla. And so we've talked about on the show about some issues that Tesla has with their full self driving, namely that one, it's not full self driving. Um, and people have been complaining. Tesla owners have been complaining about issues of self, uh, sudden acceleration, braking problems, unintentional emergency braking phantom stops from false collision warnings, all these things that we've talked about. And now a wonderful whistleblower has taken this data, handed over to a German uh, newspaper. Um, I will say the Handelsplat. Um, I I was at a Wagner opera last night, so that's as good as I can get with, with, um, with my German. I, they really emphasize the ending T's; It's quite annoying. Um, but this is great. So apparently what happens is people who are Tesla owners, who are fans, they're like, hey, I have all these problems with the cars. And they submit complaints to Tesla. And Tesla's modus operandi is, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> nope, you're wrong. Or, hey, we're just going to ignore you. Nope, no, you didn't phantom brake. Nope, none of this happened. Nope, user error. It's the most amazing expose of data that we've seen in weeks on Tesla.
2: You know, I think though, we, we, we already know there are thousands of complaints coming in around Tesla's and sudden acceleration. We've talked about that in the context of one pedal braking. There's been a NHTSA investigation that found that there were, um, you know, 100% rate of misapplication of the pedals by drivers, according to the vehicle data that was submitted by Tesla to NHTSA. 100% uh,
1: misapplication?
2: Yes, um, that was NHTSA's finding. Now, we're not sure if that's based on, you know, selective data that Tesla gave NHTSA. We don't know if NHTSA has all the data. We don't know. You know, there's a lot of things about Tesla's and their electronic systems and their software and hardware systems that we just don't know. And that information that will we'll never be party to. So it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on. We've gotten quite a few highly credible complaints um, from directly from consumers about sudden acceleration issues and Tesla's, you know, going back to the beginning of Tesla. So, it's a tough issue when, you know, when no one really knows what the data says. And also in this case, you know, we're seeing the phantom braking complaints, which we already know are um, occurring on our roads. I believe there was a crash in the Bay Area in a tunnel recently that involved phantom braking in a Tesla. And we've seen... Ah, uh, you know this article notes 139, 300, somewhere around 500 phantom breaking type incidents in Teslas, which I think there's more complaints than that on NHTSA's website on the vehicle. So um, it's an it's it's and and in this case, I'm not sure if we I don't know they, they're calling this a whistleblower, but basically this is a Tesla employee that stole Tesla data and sent it to a newspaper, which is, you know, one type of whistleblower, I guess, but he's probably or she is probably going to be in some pretty significant trouble um with European authorities and maybe depending on what, what type of contract they have signed with Tesla for revealing that information. Um So it's... Uh, you know, we're we're following this. I mean, it'd be interesting to see that data. I don't believe we're, anyone's ever going to to get their hands on it because it was released in Europe to a German newspaper, and the privacy laws over there are such that I don't believe that newspaper is going to be able to um, continue that train of releasing uh, the data so that the public actually gets to see it. But we'll see.
1: It's- Pedal misapplication problem. This, I can actually see this being a driver error. Now, do a lot of Tesla drivers, are they wearing uh, clown shoes? Because if they're wearing clown shoes that are very wide at the ball of the foot and out, I mean, it's hard to reach the right pedal.
2: Well, I'll say some of them should be if they're not. But I mean, if you pay $10,000
1: for full self driving.
2: Yeah, you should be wearing, yeah, yeah, you should probably be wearing that circumstance. But they're not. And, you know, It's, you know, going back a couple of weeks, we talked about the Chinese quote unquote recall. That was really a, you know, in America, that was just a feature update from a couple of months back that set levels, allowed the driver to select levels of regenerative braking. You know, we talked about how the Chinese authorities mentioned that there was possibly some cognitive problem with the way that one pedal braking works in Tesla's that, um makes some drivers misapply the um their foot to the to the accelerator versus the brake. So perhaps there's something going on there. Perhaps this is a system that wasn't designed with, you know, the proper accounting for, you know, human mistakes, human errors, and traditional driving habits. Uh we don't know yet. We'll leave we'll let the authorities investigate that part of it.
1: Well pedal layouts a, a very new science. I mean, you know, it's it's very new. Yes, Fred?
0: I think that, Anthony, you may be an anti-footite. <laughs> you know, those of us of the large foot persuasion have, have long been marginalized by society. And I think that you are contributing to that right now. And in honor of inclusivity month, I think you ought to think about whether or not you are a rabid anti-footite.
1: Hey, I am. Because, you know, look, my footprint on these this delicate planet earth is minimal compared to you giant foot man well that's true but still uh, you know, know.
0: We, we are human beings too mm, I don't know Those if you of so the them. large foot persuasion uh, I uh, mean, despite the fact that L.L. Bean doesn't have any shoes in my size I somehow managed to survive
1: I remember when the east coast had that earthquake about 10 years ago mm, yeah fracking or, or fretting I I was,
0: I was stable. I was under a, I was under a door. Never mind. We're (laughs) digressing.
1: Anyway, so continuing with our thread of Tesla. Oh, for the trifecta. Um, so (laughs) the reason that I want an electric vehicle, or actually, it seems any vehicle that's going to be made the next decade is so while I'm driving, I can play video games. Huh? Like this is, this is something nuts that we've talked about so many times. It is possibly the dumbest. Dumbest, dumbest idea in the world. And so, amazingly enough, NHTSA's, their Office of Defect Investigation, um, is basically going after Tesla for their quote unquote passenger play, which sounds like you need consent um, in a lot of their vehicles um, that allows basically, while I'm driving down the road, my passenger's over there playing, you know, Carmageddon or, you know, some racing game uh, in the car. This just, I, Oh, who? What? I. I mean, I'm glad that Nitz is going after this, but what? What exactly happened here? This is confusing.
2: Like, well, it took you know a, a, a little bit of time, but uh was able to convince Tesla that. This is a feature they should turn off. So I believe the feature was disabled via over-the-air updates sometime around the end of 2022. Right. Um, but NITSA's continued to look, look at this um for the last few months and they've said Look, we we you know even though you've disabled this, we're going to close the investigation. First of all, they're closing the investigation because this is something they typically do when a manufacturer issues either a recall or or some type of uh, service action to fix a concern that NHTSA had. They are they continue to look at it. They took Tesla's responses to the information request and looked at the data. and they found that when passenger play was active, that a third of the time um there was no passenger in the passenger seat based on the vehicle passenger data. So pretty clear that this is being used by drivers to play video games, uh, you know, of those who do it, it's it's being used, you know, 33% of the time by drivers to play video games, which, obviously I don't think we're fans of given the fact that Tesla's are not. And at this point in their current configuration will never be fully autonomous vehicles. So, um, that's certainly interesting and it, it shows you, you know, just how many people are willing to take on this, you know, how many people are willing to believe, first of all, that the vehicle is capable of operating while they play a video game. Um, and it's astounding that that you know there are that many people out there, and those are the guys that need clown shoes.
1: <laughs> so the amazing thing is the video games were playing in the center console, so anyone who's ever seen the inside of a Tesla or watched these videos, the center console is that giant iPad-shaped thing which has a lot of telematics and and data while you're driving down the road, kind of, hey, your map of where you're going, you glance over, but instead of that, people playing video games. So this is not like a separate screen that we've seen other manufacturers do that is directly in front of the passenger. This is really like dead center where you're getting information on where you're going right there. Um, Bananas. Absolute bananas.
0: Let's
2: see.
1: All right. So, uh, this was an interesting article. We we'll have we have a link to um, from Jalopnik. Is that how you pronounce that, Jalopnik? I believe so. Yeah, sure, Jalopnik. Are you sitting in your car wrong? Now, when Michael first sent this around to us, I thought, is he just trolling us? But no, it was a fascinating article where you have this British race car driver talk about how your the ergonomics of your body should be set up so your if if you know worst case scenario you're in a crash um things don't go wrong and one of the interesting things they pointed out which i didn't realize that i think most people don't is when an airbag goes off it's your body should be is designed to hit it while the airbag is deflating not while it's inflating or at maximum inflation clearly that's going to hurt a lot so your body should be hitting where it's already inflated fully and it's deflating itself so it cradles your face as you come in but if you're driver position is not set up correctly um, you're going to be doing some major damage to your body absolutely worth taking a look at this video um, and thinking about reasons why you won't actually change your driving position but fascinating um, had either of you guys ever thought about this or or beyond just the airbag issue
2: you know the thing that I thought about it that this article was pointing out was the the airbag issue. You know, the, the, my daughter in her driver's classes was being taught not to not not the ten and what is it? Ten and two. Ten and two position. They, she was being taught something lower that would basically you're holding the steering wheel at the bottom. He's doing um, it a four and seven. So that an airbag deployment doesn't doesn't contact your hands. Um and you know, I I I I have not retrofitted my uh, driving habits to to account for that yet. I'm still driving 10 and 2. I guess it's old habits die hard. But I think what's really important that the article point points out is that you should never be in a position where your limbs are fully extended in a locked position. Because mm-hmm. if you're in a crash and airbag deployment, and in that situation. You're in trouble, and up on your arms and your torso. And if your if your legs and feet and and you are extended in a crash, then the force of any because one thing that's often overlooked in crashes is there's a lot of force applied. To your feet and 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 there's a lot of design that goes into the pedal opera and you know, how your feet are in relation to the pedals there are a lot of lower limb injuries that occur in crashes and um, being flexible having that joint flexing your knees and your ankles and your wrists and your elbows is going to prevent you from being injured as severely as if you're you're extending those limbs so that's that was that is kind of an argument for being a little a little closer to the steering wheel but like anthony points out you don't want to be too close either and catch that airbag while it's inflating um because that's certainly a problem and remember always wear your seat belts airbags were designed to work with seat belts
0: yes fred yeah have you ever caught an airbag I have never uh, experienced an airbag going off, but but I've got to say, uh, in the spirit of inclusion, that you guys are being anti-high because because, uh, <laughs> you know, for those of us who are tall, it's virtually impossible to extend our arms all the way. The, <laughs> the cockpits in the cars are just too you're, damn small. You're bragging. That's what you're doing. You're bragging. No, I'm not. I'm whining. This, you're bragging. It's different. You can't, you can't Americans. whine and brag at the same time. Mm. Uh, okay. or that would that would be called wagging, and that's <laughs> something dogs do. And I'm just not going there. Okay. But putting that all aside, don't people don't let any of this deter you from continuing to put your seatbelts on, and to position yourself for a comfortable drive. Because you are continuously exposing yourself to risk if you're uncomfortable. It makes you it distracts you from your driving attention. It, it it's a bad thing to do. The cars are designed for the most part to secure you in a proper position before the airbags go off, so that you'll minimize the damage to yourself. And, uh you know, use the airbag in the way it is appropriate. It's a big part of the reason why the pretensioners are included in the car designs. So please don't let don't let this deter you from being comfortable and uh, making sure that you're in a good driving position.
1: One of the things it pointed out was, uh, lowering your seat height until you can, um, just so you no longer see what they call the bonnet. Keep in mind, this is a British thing. So basically the hood of your car. So set your seat height so you no longer see that because it will focus your eyes further down the road, which I thought was fascinating. And the other day I'm, I, I had to drive my wife somewhere and I'm coming back and it, you know, it was early in the morning. So I'm not fully, uh, awake. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I should do that. But of course, I'm driving down the middle of Manhattan and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't adjust my seat height while I'm doing this. And then I also thought, I don't think I can adjust my seat height. I don't know if that's a that's not a regulation, adjustable seat. No. Height. I can slide it forward and backwards and I can tilt the angle of the, the <laughs> back part
2: and, you know. Like anyway. right, there's some that and that that also raises an issue, if, you know. Just thinking about it, if you're lowering it so that you can just barely see over your bonnet uh, or your hood, <laughs> then you're reducing your visibility of objects that might be in front of the vehicle. It's is an issue that we come across a lot in front of our collisions and driveways with children and, and you know even animals and and other objects that you can't see. Um, so I don't know about that one. <laughs>
0: Mm, it's interesting. It's Anti-heightism at its at its <laughs> utmost. There's no way in the world I can I can reduce my seat to make the bonnet invisible. It just ain't going to happen. Uh, well, you need to stop wearing bonnets, and that problem will be resolved.
1: Maybe uh maybe people like you shouldn't be driving. Maybe that's what it comes down to.
0: You're just it, the wrong shape for cars. I think that's true. I think there's something to that. <laughs>
1: Or you need a Hummer EV 9,000 pounds of No,
0: nah, I still think it's anti-highlights <laughs> that okay. are designing the cars. cars. Uh, it could be.
1: Uh, we're going to follow up. Uh, we've talked about this. I think it was last week, the right to repair. Um, or it was two weeks ago, maybe. This is an issue where uh, everything in the world today, your phone, oh, your battery dies. Good luck getting the battery out of your phone because it's glued in there and it's sealed shut and it's it's never going to happen. And so uh, auto manufacturers are trying to do that with their vehicles, saying, oh, you want to repair your vehicle? Well, you have to bring it back to the dealer, and we'll charge you whatever we want. But in the lovely state of Massachusetts, where um, one of us lives, um, beginning next Thursday, uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts Attorney General Andrea Joy Campbell plans to start enforcing the state's automotive right to repair law. Auto companies are against this. They're like, please, no, no, we don't want to do this. Uh, and the statute requires that uh, both consumers and independent repair shops get access to the car's telematics, the digital information of how your car works, so they can uh, diagnose what's wrong with it. And now you as a consumer have m- a multitude of options to get your car repaired and figure out what's going on with it instead of being beholden to your dealer. Um, I think this is a this is a great thing. Has there been any update on the 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 auto companies, and actually the the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, which sounds like a pleasant organization, but is you know just a front group? Um, has there been any update on them trying to get this blocked? Uh,
2: I haven't heard any resolution here, but they asked. They went to federal court to get a restraining order, I believe, on. The Massachusetts attorney general to prevent her from enforcing the law, um, which it was, I think it was approved by a ballot measure by, by voters. Um, so it's not even a, um, a something that came out of the Massachusetts legislature. Um, 75% of the voters in Massachusetts wanted it. They wanted it basically to allow them access to their vehicles data, which, you know, that's important. We see, we, you know, we know that. For instance, in the vehicles that are t- currently um, collecting your driving data and other data, infotainment, all sorts of other things, um, they provide you with a selection of your data. For instance, in Tesla's day. Have a you know basically you can log in and see the data that they've allowed you to see uh, on on your driving and on other things in the vehicle. What this bill would do is say, hey, we get all the data. We don't just get to to see what you want us to see, right. um, which is you know a nightmare for an industry that wants to keep. Everything under wraps and secret and wants to be able to monetize, uh, things based on the, the, the data they have and making that data public or giving it away to owners is the last thing they want to happen. Plus at the same time, you have, you know, manufacturers who are making money and, and on their repair and service operations. And this, you know, allows independent repair shops to have a portion of that pie that they wouldn't otherwise have, although traditionally, you know, you've been able to just drive your car into any repair shop and get it fixed. In, in modern vehicles, there are software, cybersecurity, and other blockades that would prevent independent repair shops from doing their job um unless they have access and unless they have this access to some of this data. So the that's really what the law is intended to protect. It's intended to, to to allow independent repair shops to continue to operate on modern vehicles. And it allows consumers to have better access to their data. And and that access is not determined by a CEO of a company, but by you know what the consumers and what the state thinks that you know we should have access to. And and I would love to have access to every single piece of data my car collects. I might not read it all and sort through it, but it would certainly uh come in handy when you're when you're when you're looking at some things.
0: This harkens back to the rationale for providing the A V Consumer Bill of Rights. Because there was never a requirement for the car designers to put this kind of access in place so it's very very difficult to, to add it on at the end of the d- at the end of the day when the cars are already built um you know the system's already in place if you have that requirement at the beginning of the design process then it's very easy for the software engineers to make sure that access is built in and that people can access all this information through a standard obd port for example um, this whole the whole av and autonomous and electronic cars it's interesting it's so much like a graduate student project where you just figure out if you can do it then you blast away at it and see what happens and never a regard for what the requirements are to maximize safety maximize consumer access to to really secure the rights of people who are paying their money for these vehicles and the contents of the vehicle
2: so quick update too. apparently the request for restraining order was denied i just saw an article come in about three minutes ago on um, the judge said well, you can't get a restraining order here. You need to go back and, and file for an injunction. Um so they're gonna go back and seek injunctive relief. I'm sure they will take that option because they are they're fighting uh this right to repair law. Um well they're doing a uh uh they're throwing everything at the wall to try to stop it.
1: Injunctive relief brought to you by Milk of Magnesia. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so let's go into the uh the Towel Fred this week, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not really sure what we're doing this week. I mean, very last-minute curveball. I wanted to uh talk about um lug nut covers with Attitude, which is you're driving down the highway, and I, I just saw this the other day. It was a some truck, and it's got these massive metal spikes off its wheels like it's in a Mad Max movie. Fred says he needs more research on that. So I think we're going to uh, oil change. Is this correct? Um, no one's nodding. No one's disagreeing. About- I just had two birds yes.
2: struck my window very violently. So I'm distracted. Oh. Oh,
1: that was very strange. Um, it so, and this is a question I had a couple weeks ago as I brought my car in to get an oil change. I guess they said they changed the oil to what? I don't know. Um, synthetic oil. I don't know if they gave me synthetic oil. They gave me conventional oil, uh, whale oil. What's what? What kind of oil do I got? Huh? What's going on? Here?
2: You've now entered the Dow of Fred.
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. This is uh, everybody likes chemistry in the morning, right? Or whenever you happen to be listening to this, uh, cherished readers, listeners, readers, or whoever you are
1: if you're right, I'm sorry. The transcripts are, you know, hit so or miss. The,
0: huh. So let me ask you a question, Anthony. Uh, what, what does it mean to be a hydrocarbon? What does that mean? Uh, that I'm uh, made out of uh,
1: carbon and I like the water. Uh, <laughs> close. You're getting close. I did not do well in chemistry. Um, uh, hydrocarbon. I like, I like wet carbon. It's like wet charcoal.
0: Some Michael, we're going to move stuff. to the legal world. What, what do you think hydrocarbon means? I think a hydrocarbon is a uh, molecule that is formed by
2: joining hydrogen and carbon.
0: Oh man, he wins! Oh, he wins. it up ahead of time, huh? Bird strike. <laughs> um, basically, everything you see around you is made of hydrocarbons. It's a, it's a really handy little chemical. And if uh, if you ever had those little uh, toys where you can pop one into another and build up big networks out of them, Legos are kind of like that, but there's others that are, sure. you know, you can pop one into another and build up these big structures. Well, hydrocarbons are like that. The chemists have techniques where they can start with one and just pop another one on and build up whatever kind of chemical they want. Michael, you want to say something? it's tinker toys tinker toys there you go or no there's well there's another one but anyway um that's kind of what's going on here and the difference between synthetic oil and regular oil is that regular oil is primarily made from distillates of stuff that comes out of the ground right the crude oil that comes out of the ground
1: dinosaur juice
0: and what it's dinosaur juice right dinosaur juice. well who knows but um it could be dinosaur juice but the difference is that with synthetic oil you can build it up from uh basically very simple compounds and build it into whatever you want whereas if you take the oil out of the ground and you try to distill the lubricants you get not only the the fraction that you want but you also get a lot of impurities that are in the oil particularly carbon double bonds and and uh sulfur and oxygen and things like that so let me ask you another question anthony as a representative of every man have you ever smelled natural gas
1: i uh, no natural gas doesn't have a smell um the smell that you have a, in your in your kitchen and whatnot, what you're smelling is an additive that's added to it at something like one part per billion. That's how intense that chemical is. And I know this because my brother is a chemist or was, and he uh they were doing chemical waste disposal once and he was out in Queens and there was a 50 gallon on mark judge jug. He's in a full respirator suit that and he opened it up just to crack and he's like oh my God I vomited inside the suit and they had like gas leak um calls like all throughout like long island people thinking they had gas leaks everywhere because he opened this 50 gallon drum
0: of the stuff for like a minute am i right Uh, you win on this one that was good yes yeah and and uh, that stuff is called mercaptan which is a uh a, a very small chemical that contains sulfur as well as a hydrocarbon backbone And, uh, you were close on the number of sensitivity too. It's actually 10 parts per billion. Oh, 10, well, you know, which is a, which is a really tiny little contaminant. Anyway, the reason you can, you cannot smell the natural gas is because it only has what are called single bonds between the carbon atoms. If it, well, of course, methane only has one carbon atom, so it can't have double bonds, but ethane, butane, propane, all of those, they can be modified into having double bonds which you basically get by plucking out two of the hydrogen atoms. And then the carbon says, well, I need to have a bond somewhere. So I'm just going to wing it with my twin over here. And becomes a double bond. Now, double bonds are more chemically active than the single bonds. So if you have a lot of double bonds or any double bonds in the motor oil, then it's more reactive, it's more likely to oxidize, it's more likely to get old, turn into sludge, and do all those bad things. So have you ever smelled gasoline? Yes. Yes. Repeatedly. And the reason, and the reason well, you... riding is, his bike. Uh,
1: yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, an engine had a uh, gasoline leak in it.
0: So. Well, that's too much information for this discussion. Oh, but no. anyway, uh, <laughs> the reason you can smell the gasoline is because it has numerous double bonds in it. Okay, which are more reactive, so when it hits your nose, your nose says, oh, okay, I can react to this, and it goes ahead and does that. So getting back to the basics, when you make synthetic oil, you're building it up from very simple compounds like methane or propane or ethylene or something like that that do not have, uh, when they're configured into these long chains that represent the backbone of the motor oil, they do not have any double bonds in them. They don't have any sulfur in them. They don't have any iron contaminants. They don't have the kind of crap that comes up from the well when you inevitably refine the oil and, and have to live with what's in it. So that's that's the, the fundamental difference between synthetic oil and the uh, oil that's derived from petroleum. Now, there's a lot of implications of that because you have very careful control of the chemistry that's in the uh, synthetic oil, you can also have a lot of fine control over the additives that you put in to the oil to make it work better. So something like uh, 75% to 90% of the synthetic oil is actually the hydrocarbon backbone, if you will, that, what we conventionally think of as oil, the rest of it are additives and the additives um very important because they are what really makes the oil last a long time or protect your car so when you buy have you ever bought motor oil you guys have bought motor oil right from time to time and it has a number on the front says 10w30 for example or 5w30 something like that well that's a measure of viscosity which viscosity means how well it flows and a w means that the test for viscosity was made at 0 degrees Fahrenheit or -18 degrees Celsius. So it's it was developed because cars were getting very hard to start in the winter time because the oil was congealing. So they've got this 10W or 0W or whatever as a standard for what the oil can do at low temperatures. Now it's important to have low viscosity at low temperatures because most of the wear in your engine, or I should say the most intense wear in your engine occurs when you're starting a cold because it doesn't have the warm oil circulating. Um, so you've got metal on metal contact. And the whole point of the lubricant is to make sure the metal on metal contact never happens. So it actually, when you think of the metal parts moving against each other, they're actually moving against a very very thin monomolecular layer of oil that is protecting the, the parts from actually contacting each other but at low temperatures when a car has been sitting for a while uh, all the oil has drained out of it for the most part but the additives you can put in will cause it to adhere to the metal parts they're called adsorbents, A-D-S-O-R-B-E-N-T-S, versus absorbents. So there's additives that cause it to adhere to the metal, and that's a good thing. And then there are additives that cause it to flow at low temperatures, and that's another good thing because as soon as your car starts, you want to be circulating the oil, making sure that fresh oil is always impacting the metal parts. So, these are the kind of things that can happen with synthetic oil that are more difficult to control with natural oil because of the impurities in the natural oil. Uh, There's a lot of other things that go into it. It's the the whole chemistry idea, or the whole chemistry behind it is very complex and and fascinating to those of us uh, in the nerd professions, but Mm. not everybody is. So, basically, I'll just leave it at that. The synthetic oil is inherently cleaner, better structured, and more controlled than the natural oils. And because of it, it can last a lot longer. It can protect your car better. Uh, it can actually have additives that are intended to make the seals in your car work better. They can Wait, ex- there's
1: seals in my car?
0: The seals in your car, not the otters, the and seals. It's just, uh, and it's not it's not otter be a law either. It's ah. the seals in your engine. Uh, so uh,
1: it's in my engine. Uh, I thought there was a little tiger in my tank.
0: So it can make the so anyway, there's lots and lots of things that happen inside of your engine that the oil is, re- is responsible for or can mitigate. All of those are better controlled, better understood, and, and better managed by the synthetic oil. Now there's there's also synthetic oil that's made from petroleum, uh petroleum compounds so there's different kinds so if you get pens oil for example pens oil is made from natural gas only that brand uh so they've got the the finest possible control there are other brands that are made using some synthetic uh, or excuse me using some natural components that have less control but all of them have removed the sulfur for the most part all of them have removed the double bonds for the most part you know that they've absolutely done that if they start with natural gas and build it up. So there are different brands that have different qualities. I would say that all of them are better as a class than any of the non-synthetic oils that you can buy. They're more expensive, but they last a lot longer. And your engine's very expensive. So uh, mm -hmm. I've been using them for a long time. Most automobile companies are using them now in... Uh, original equipment for their cars and they specify for their cars because it allows the engines to be smaller to run hotter which makes them more efficient and makes them more fuel efficient as well and also lasts longer
1: all right so i we understand the difference here in synthetic oil nerd stuff
0: so why
2: is anyone continuing to use conventional oil is it just because it's cheaper and big oil is continuing to push it on us or what's the reason what's the reasoning there
1: those dinosaurs uh, died for your sins we got to you got to use all their
0: bits cheaper
1: okay that works too
0: dollars that's it um you know it's just a lot cheaper to distill something than it is to build it up the uh, uh so the question is is it worth it and i think that Given that the synthetic oils can inhibit or eliminate the irreversible damage to your engine that can be caused by using uh, naturally petroleum-based products, I I have long used it on my own car, even before it became standard uh, the standard for engines by the uh, manufacturers, and uh, it's it's all good except for the price and for. But for the price, it's relatively cheap insurance. And I, and I would emphasize to our listeners that the single most important thing you can do for the longevity of your car is to keep the oil fresh and clean and uh, change your change your oil and filter regularly.
2: Sophie, and, don't, is- and don't hit
0: the full self-driving button. All right.
2: Don't- so, Fred,
1: isn't it true that, like you said, you've been using synthetic oil for a number of years, and isn't it true that you actually coat your body in synthetic oil before you get into the car so you can fit your gigantic
0: body into our small cars? I do have to do that, yes. It actually it works there pretty well. <laughs> do you
1: well. have to do it, or is it just kind of a lifestyle choice?
0: No, it's something that that I have to do to mitigate the effects of the anti hydism that's so (laughs) rampant in society today
1: or at least on this podcast all right well let's jump in we're gonna do a couple recalls before we i hear back from fred on his woodstock story uh so oh this is uh i I, all of these i don't understand how they happen but here this is a uh an incorrectly assembled intermediate shaft may potentially disconnect from the u-joint what does that mean um you might have loss of steering control, which can cause a vehicle crash without prior warning. I prefer all of my vehicle crashes to have prior warning. This is for 2022 to 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokees, um, 89,000 of them. So uh, my steering wall wasn't set up correctly. What's going on here, Michael?
2: Basically, your steering shaft uh, can brake while you're driving and you lose steering control. So a pretty clear safety issue. Um, and, you know, they they identified it pretty quickly, particularly for Chrysler Jeep. They, looks like they've been looking at this since February and um, went ahead and conducted a recall. So a good thing and something we just wanted everyone to be aware of so that they can get it fixed. It looks like they're going to start, um, looks like they're going to start Notification in about a week, so that's coming out quick. And all the um, owners of those vehicles should keep an eye out for that one because that is a, a very important recall to have.
1: Okay, our uh, our final one before we get to to Fred's story is a uh, Ford Bronco. Gotta love this vehicle. Um, it's trying to win the recall championship award this year. Uh this is number eight on on Ford Bronco recalls. For the 2021, 2022 model years, uh, this is 175,000 plus vehicles, um, and the seatbelt doesn't latch. The is—is is this what's going on here? The, um, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the seatbelt doesn't latch.
2: It seems, yeah, the seatbelt doesn't latch because it's—it looks like consumers are having a seriously hard time. Finding where it is when it's stowed. I, th- I think it's probably in a, a crease or somewhere where uh, it's not in a normal spot that a, that a occupant would expect a seatbelt to be. Um, so they're going to go back and apparently fix those uh i think that one's gonna start in later this month um they're gonna add a part to it looks like they're gonna add a um sliding clip latch stop a barrette clip i don't i I guess that's the same as a barrette that goes in your in in, in anthony's hair
1: yeah well that's um
2: and that puts the latch plate basically right now the latch plate is it's a Mm non-compliance it doesn't comply with the nitsa
1: Federal, Federal motor motor vehicle vehicle safety
2: standard number two hundred eight, yeah. which, which regulates seatbelts. So um, that's and, and and you know this is a you know these newer a new vehicle. This Bronco is kind of an all new thing. You know we expect to see more recalls in vehicles during their first couple of year, first seat couple of years are not of production. A new thing, <laughs> but um, this one is, you know, it's. It's something that you certainly want to get fixed because we continually harp on seatbelts, and if you're not able to find your seatbelt and put it on, it's not doing you any good, and neither are your airbags.
1: Yeah, wear your seatbelts. Okay, listeners, you've waited long enough, and and you've come through for us. We've asked for you know five new monthly donors. You've come through. Uh, you can still become a monthly donor or a one time donor. Go to autosafety.org. Click on the support us donate button. Uh, I should remember what it is, but it's the red button. it's red red button. You can't miss it. uh he's been stretching, he's limbering up. he's taken off his tracksuit. and here is let's go back to nineteen sixty nine a young Fred Perkins, fresh from being chased by a tank um and Woodstock. Let's hear it.
0: It was a beautiful day actually it was um uh, <laughs> you know uh, we had we have the young persuasion. At that time, before anti-heidism took over. Anyway, this was, uh, I had a burgeoning career pumping jelly into jelly donuts at my local Dunkin' Donuts shop in uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. It's still there, as a matter of fact. They somehow managed to survive without my expertise pumping jelly into the donuts, which is a really interesting sound, by the way, when you step on the pedal, it says this Um And every jelly donut has got that squoik built into it it's a it's a wonderful thing to know about um anyhow
1: just made Ben Affleck a subscriber to the show
0: (laughs) (laughs) anyhow I had a choice between either uh polishing my credentials squinking into donuts or going to this Woodstock festival that was supposed to be just down the road in Woodstock about 100 miles from where I was living at the time so you can pretty well guess which option I took on that and I thought, well, this is going to be fun. So I'll go a day early and just to make sure I can get in. Um, surprisingly, I was not the only person who was headed in that direction. And this was back at a time when the most valuable asset that I owned was the fuel in my tank because I just didn't have a lot of money. My car had cost me $5. Uh, <laughs> actually, well, the truth is $4 plus two hot dogs with Mustard and relish, but we wrote it down as $5 on the bill of sale. (laughs) Um, So off we go. uh, In 62, Plymouth, completely rusted out. Probably Uh, the worst car you could imagine.
1: I I need to point out to listeners that Fred is not a cartoon character. He is a real person. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, buying a car with hot dogs. Like, okay. Sorry,
0: continue. They weren't that good hot dogs either, but... Uh was good enough for the seller. In any event, uh hopped in the car, and, and off I went towards the Taconic State Parkway, which, uh, if, if many of you have been on it, it's a beautiful ride. But this was beyond my normal driving range, so it was all new to me. Um Remember, I was 16. I, I was brought up by wolves, and so I really <clears> hadn't seen a lot of the world at that point. So as I was getting closer, uh noticed there were a lot of hitchhikers, which was popular back then. And so I kind of filled up the car with hitchhikers. Of course, the, the car was a piece of junk, and as it filled up with hitchhikers, I noticed the temperature needle uh kept climbing into the red zone. So I had to turn on all the heaters and the uh and the defroster on full blast to keep the engine temperature down <laughs> to where the uh radiator didn't explode but anyway we're headed down the uh the Connor State Parkway beautiful day cars full of people everybody's optimistic all of a sudden there was a sign that said this way to Woodstock and I think it's route 32 I don't remember exactly but uh turned down the road to Woodstock with no idea exactly where we were going but I figured like when you're at the airport and there's a change of planes somewhere or flight cancellation the long line's got to lead somewhere and so you just get in the line follow it and see where it goes and eventually the line stopped moving because the car is parked in the road and next to the road and on the road and in the field and everywhere else so at that point we all abandoned the car and walked up the big long hill to where the Woodstock festival was being held uh got there and you know being a red-blooded American young boy wh- whose burgeoning career squinking donuts was over I started to chat up some people there and it was uh it was getting to be dark and there was a guy there who's uh looked at me and noticed that I happened to be Paul this is before anti-hydism set in and and he was uh, he was from a group called the hog farm in New York City which was up there and they'd their mission was to feed the people at the festival and perhaps a few other places as well but that's beyond my ken anyway this guy said hey you look you look able would you like me to to help me cut down the fence <laughs> so you know what would a young boy do when confronted with a fence that would uh you know keep people from illegally watching the concert when armed with a bolt cutter, what would what would you have to do? So, of course, I went over with this other gentleman, and we started cutting down the fence to uh, kind of enhance access to the festival. I would um, say
1: enhance access. The enhance access. Right. Okay. I,
0: I, I've been that kind of person for a long time, and, and in fact, we did enhance access very effectively after you know taking a few sections of the fence down. So I can't say I was personally responsible for the success of the, the Woodstock concert, but I did my little best. And, so what, and what was
1: your favorite act at the Woodstock concert?
0: My favorite act at the Woodstock concert. Well, you know, it's hard to know because actually, being a sixteen-year-old freaked-out virgin, I looked at everybody who was coming in there, and I said, yeah, "I'm a little uncomfortable with all this." So, uh, and did I mention there were drugs there as well? So I actually left okay. early. Big regret of my life. Uh that is my can, favorite part of your story. Yeah. I cut
1: down the fence at Woodstock and then went home.
0: Yeah, you know, uh <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. What can I tell you? <laughs>
1: Everyone the Woodstock story is like, I was backstage with Hendrix, it was great. They're all yeah. locked, and yours is like I cut the fence
0: <laughs> and ran. <laughs> so I'm a nerd. What can I say? But you know, this has come in actually very handy because. As I became part of the military industrial complex, working on various kinds of classified and unclassified military programs, you often get to the point at the beginning of a uh, uh, of a project where everybody introduces themselves to each other, and somebody, facilitator, usually the manager, will say, "Well, I, you know, I want you all to perhaps offer something of yourself that'll help rivet your memory in other people's minds. Get to so that we get to know you." I always win those contests by saying I cut down the fence <laughs> at Woodstock. Works every time.
1: <laughs> and hey, we got a good auto safety, auto repair ish lesson out of it. Uh, if your, uh, 1942 Plymouth is overheating, crank the heater and run the defroster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It actually came in handy. Uh, when I was after I hitchhiked uh, across Canada and I was on my way back, I solicited a ride from a guy in, uh, in san francisco we was headed back to the east coast so i got back for 20 bucks or so but he had similarly a crappy chrysler product and um he <laughs> the impeller on his uh water pump was only loosely connected to the shaft so uh you know we were going through wyoming and it was overheating and i suggested that he turn the heater on to get better heat rejection and he did that and, and that worked as well but useful information
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that that story, Fred. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure our listeners did too. Everyone, thank you for joining us for another uh, fine episode. We'll figure out another future uh, Fred fundraising pitch at some point. I have an idea one now of, uh, of of you and another auto safety gentleman possibly talking about their hitchhiking stories. Um, but uh, I think that's uh, that's what we got for now. So, hey, thank you so much. Uh, go to autosafety.org. Donate, click subscribe,
0: tell your friends. Thank you. Thank you for listening.
2: Thanks, everybody. Bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.